Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. My name is Sydney. And we are two members of the JLU podcast team who enjoy analyzing the DC films from Warner Brothers Studios. Other contributors to this episode are Alessandro Maniscalco and Rebecca Johnson. You can find us individually on Twitter, and you can follow the show at JLU Podcast. In this episode, we continue in the final battle between Wonder Woman and Ares, and we will talk about Steve Trevor's ultimate sacrifice. Um, but before we get into that scene, um, or actually scenes, we're calling this scenes 48 and 49, because we do have Steve's sacrifice, and then we have the big ending with uh, Diana rising to the occasion. But before that, we want to make a quick announcement. Um, as you can tell, we're getting close to the end of our Wonder Woman scene-by-scene analysis. So we want to have a special episode to mark the occasion. Um, and back at the BVS, we did a special episode where we had um, submissions from all over the world, actually, about why we love Batman v Superman. And this time we want to hear from you, our listeners, about your favorite part of Wonder Woman. It could be a favorite scene or a favorite character, um, a favorite thematic thread, or something in the music or the production design. Uh, whatever specific part of Wonder Woman uh, really stands out to you, just tell us about it. Why was it meaningful? Um, what, you know, what really stood out to you? You can be part of that special episode by sending us an email. Um, you can send text, and we'll read that in the episode. Or what we would like even better is we could hear your voice if you sent an audio file. Um, you can submit the text or the audio file to us at jlupodcast at gmail.com. And we are asking for those by September 10th so we can compile the episode together. That's jlupodcast at gmail.com. And if you're going to you know, record an audio file, aim for something that's like less than three minutes just uh, to help us put it all together. But Sydney, uh, you were actually um, someone who submitted to our BVS special episode. Yes. What was it that What was it that led to you um, to want to contribute to that episode back there? Well, you know, for Batman v Superman, you know, I think in contrast to Wonder Woman, you know, while there were fans that really loved it, it wasn't as as universally praised, mm-hmm. um, you know, by the mainstream audience. And you know, I loved that movie a lot, and there were so many things about it that were very meaningful to me. So I just wanted to contribute to that and, and and get my opinion out there in some way i think i let me tell, i'd have to go back and listen to that again i think i talked a lot about batman and bruce um, yeah i remember it was bruce wayne yep yeah i forgot if there was another thing where i mentioned wonder woman though too i think i may have mentioned something about uh one oh. of the scenes we're about to discuss mm-hmm. and you're right about bvs like part of why we wanted to do that episode as why we love batman v superman was just to tell people hey there there are those of us who love batman v superman and this one people kind of take it for granted that Wonder Woman is a popular film and lots of people love it. Mm -hmm. So we thought we'd take a little bit different angle and say, okay, a lot of people love this Wonder Woman film. That's great. So let's go at what's your favorite part of the film, you know? So it's, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely a different kind of context for this film versus BBS. Right. But let's go ahead and get into it. I'm here with the, the big final battle and getting to the, the real kind of conclusion of the film. So first of all, overall, we've talked about in our analysis that in a lot of ways, this film is well-written, but it is kind of largely written by the book, um, and specifically the book being Blake Snyder's Save the Cat. Um, it's like <laughs> a book about the structure of blockbuster movies. You know, if you want to write a big hit movie, you need to de- do these sorts of things. Right. It's it's literally a book people can pick up and read, um, and you'll start to notice that a lot of blockbuster movies follow the prescription of that book. This is one of them that, it, it, you know, not entirely, but a lot of parts of it follow that formula. And this would be called the all is lost moment. It looks like our hero is going to lose. It looks like the villain is going to be triumphant. 
all of the different characters are all in desperate situations. The odd fellows. How will are, they make it out of this one? Yeah, exactly. There's no way that there's no way this is going to work out. The odd fellows have ran out of bullets and they're pinned down, and Wonder Woman is literally trapped on the ground. So this is the all is lost moment. And then by the end of the of what we're going to talk about here in this episode, the hero does find a way to break through and still save the day. Right, of course. Um, and it's, you know, it's a familiar formula, but it's, I think that's a part of what made this movie really accessible to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that way, I'm kind of glad it did because it's, it's a wonderful movie. It does the formula well. And, you know, if, the, if that got more people to go see it, to, you know, to really fall in love with it, then, you know, I guess that's positive overall. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you that it does the formula well. Like, just because you follow the formula doesn't mean it's a bad movie. You know, you can mm-hmm. do it well, or you can do it poorly, um, or you can phone it in. This one was not phoning it in. This one was doing it well. In this scene, uh, where I think it does it well, is that the way Wonder Woman is able to break free and win the day is because of threads that have been tied through the whole movie. So she is mm-hmm. going to choose love. She is going to say... I have noticed things about mankind. I have learned about mankind and I am going to choose to still save them. That is actually, you know, an arc for the movie overall. A movie that follows the formula poorly would have a climax or, you know, would have a final moment where it's just something clever that they do or something that flies in from the side. And then that's how they're able to save the day. Right. But here they built up to it. Exactly. And it it pays off things that had been built from the start. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, let's go into the scene. Um, it starts with Diana wrapped in uh, treads from you know a, lo- a tank that was nearby and being crushed kind of into the pavement. And this is really an homage to the Wonder Woman character who has a long history of bondage. Um, a lot of the <laughs> the early comics would always have Wonder Woman tied up at some point, you know, in the story. Right. I think it's um what is it probably like uh, Wonder Woman and Nightwing got to be the two DC characters that do this the most. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so to me, this is tastefully done, at least. Yeah, it's not ropes <laughs> <laughs> or chains. It's um, it's a little bit more, uh, uh, what would you call it, contextual, I guess. Yeah, yeah. and it's, <laughs> it covers her more appropriately than, yeah. I mean, that is kind of a nod to the character, so at least they're not trying to, you know, ignore that history. They've just found a more tasteful way of incorporating it into the story. Right, and, it, you know, it, it kind of... <laughs> I mean, I didn't even really think of it that way until you said it, so it kind of goes right under the radar, too. (laughs) Then they do a good job, I think, of directing the audience towards Steve in the sky, because we see from Diana's perspective her, like, looking up towards him and seeing the plane in the distance, and then we cut into the plane where we can see Steve. So that's a nice way to just, like, you know, edit and direct the audience right to where we need to go next. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, she was in the middle of this battle, but now everything is suddenly focused on, oh, no, wait, Steve is about to die. Yeah, and we get the close-ups. After they do that nice transition to put us up in the sky with Steve in the plane, they do the matching close-ups, like a close-up on Diana and then a close-up on Steve, Mm -hmm. because, you know, we're coming to this big moment, so we really want to be there with the characters and see them, you know, in detail. Yeah, and a specific shout out to Chris Pine in this scene because mm-hmm. every single emotion I think passes over his face in just yeah. a few moments here when he's contemplating his death. You know, he looks scared and then he kind of calms himself for a while. You can kind of see his eyes even clear and then, you know, the little smile even mm-hmm. when um, he's thinking of Diana, I imagine, and how she's going to, you know, carry on after him. 
Yeah, and even before that, the the emotional range started with him laughing in joy because he saw that the the other Odd Fellows were able to destroy the the warehouse, you know, of the poisons mm-hmm. and the gas and stuff. So he gets to be happy, like, hey, this mission was successful. Like, I've been, ever since I found out about what Dr. Poison's doing, I have been trying to find a way to stop and to destroy these poisons and this gas. And he gets to have that joy of, he gets to see with his own eyes, we did it. We actually succeeded. So he's laughing and is is joyful. And then he goes through everything that you described. Mm -hmm. So it really is a full range and a performance that he does without any lines, but just, you know, on his face. Right. And it's a victory for him. And it's a good conclusion to his arc because, you know, since we first met him back on you know Themyscira, he's mostly been kind of cynical mm-hmm. about, you know, the war and what he can do. Uh, and to see him, yeah, laughing like, oh, my gosh, it actually it actually worked. We're going to win the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the even some technical stuff like the camera work is good like how they have the camera tilted so that it really does feel like he's going up and up and up away from danger and Mm -hmm. then they they show us the the rows and the stacks of the bombs so it's also just again very clear to the audience what's at stake what's about to happen and why it's important you know he's not dying for nothing he's we can clearly see that he is sacrificing himself for this cause so it's also just it's good acting but it's also just very sound filmmaking Mm-hmm. And the music is is beautiful mm. too, and it you can hear it definitely changes immediately to something more dramatic once the plane actually explodes. And I think it was just a great call to let the camera linger on Steve Trevor mm-hmm. for longer than you had to. Right, you could have just gone to like three seconds of a close up and then go to like the explosion. They gave many seconds to really let this sink into the audience and let the music swell and everything to roll over. And it just marks it as a very important moment. And it lets all of those emotions flow from the actor and the music to the audience. Yeah, true. It's not just like, uh, okay, you know, this happens and, oh, look, he made this brave sacrifice. You actually, you feel it because yeah, you're right. They give you time to go through all those emotions with Steve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know that that takes um, some courage for the filmmakers to really let that draw out because mm-hmm. it would be easier to just say like, hey, that can be tighter. Let's trim five seconds out of there. It's like, no, we really needed every one of those seconds to to get as much out of this as we could. Mm-hmm. And for this film especially, I feel like the emotion is probably one of the most important parts. So, you know, it's really essential that they did that. Mm-hmm. But they didn't try to cut it out or skip on the emotional impact of the moment yeah and then again good flowing of the editing because they we have the explosion which we see from diana's perspective because again this this whole movie basically has been very consistent in taking diana's point of view and we see the explosion and then we go to diana's reaction she she screams she yells no um and we feel that with her as well mm-hmm. and then she enters god mode yeah so then <laughs> <laughs> that's how she Literally? gets yes and that is how she gets out of the uh the bondage she mm-hmm. and it's really filmed like god mode too with the light below her and her up in the sky and like flexing mm-hmm. um yeah but this next portion of the scene is to me in my mind i kind of call this like the diana's rage portion of the scene um mm-hmm. because uh she's basically just completely upset and she's seeing red you know so she's just going to be like mowing down germans uh left and right 
that sets up a nice contrast because we're going to go through her rage here, which we'll talk about some more, but that's to set up the fact that she's going to have this serene kind of choice on the side of love at the end. But the reason that that love part feels really strong and effective is because we go through the rage first. So it kind of sets up the contrast. Yeah, it's, it's her it's her initial and instinctual reaction to the trauma of seeing the man she loves die, to be, be killed. So, you know, obviously anyone would react in that situation with incredible grief or rage. And, you know, she's got a bunch of men with guns who are convenient targets for that rage, rage mm-hmm. right now. Yeah, so she can take it out on the people around. Um, mm-hmm. I like, too, some of the filming, like they have the camera go forward and that reminds me of BVS, how she would like leap forward towards Doomsday. Um, so giving some real kinetic energy to her when she mm-hmm. is in full combat mode. Yeah, and it, it kind of feels like um, it's meant to give the effect of, I guess, super speed, um, <laughs> which I don't think is... You're right, we've seen her do that in Batman v Superman, and she also does it in Justice League, but I don't think she had done it too much in this film up to this point. No, no, I th- yeah, I think this is the first time that we've seen it like this, uh, this kind of motion from her. Right. I mean, she, you know, she, she slid around and she had some really good choreography in some of the fight scenes, but the way that this is filmed kind of stylized, it seems like it's, she's tapping into an extra sort of power that she wasn't before. Right. And she's doing that a lot or she'll continue to do that as the fight goes on, you know, sort of tapping into new powers. So you really see how she's grown in power since the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. And I, I like that idea too, that, through these really strong, poignant emotions, she can actually get bigger physical, stronger p- physical powers from it. Mm-hmm. And I like that, that she can get powers from rage, but she can also get powers from love. And it's kind of her choice which one she wants to go with. It's not like she's a hero that, like, she's not like a Red Lantern, where she only gets the power from rage. Mm-hmm she can actually get power from a lot of different kinds of emotions. And so it's really up to her what she's going to do. Right. So it's, you know, emotional moments sort of trigger these changes in her. Mm -hmm. We also, by the way, just really quick, we get one more like bracelet blast or block, you know, so we've had that throughout the movie and we get one more of those kind of coming right across her face, uh, blocking the bullet. So that is a nice little, you know, iconic Wonder Woman kind of move. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I noticed in this scene is probably more than any other um, shots during this whole scene at the airfield, uh, you, you get this, you know, bright orange color scheme. Oh, yeah. Lots um, of fire it, around. Yeah. It featured a lot in the marketing. And there's also, you know, several slow motion shots where, you know, she just looks angry and and she's surrounded by, you know, soldiers going all over the place and there's mm-hmm. kicked up dust around and it looks a lot like the gas attack on Veld, mm-hmm. which was a big part of the marketing. A lot of it was this very dusty orange and golds. And um, this is a, a huge traumatic moment for her. Mm-hmm. And they're using, I guess the more iconic color scheme for the film really heavily mm-hmm. in this. And mm-hmm. it just kind of reminds you of the traumatic events that she also um, encountered in Veld. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. And this is also, all of this stuff is what we were saying about how you're paying off things from before or you built up to this moment so it makes it mm-hmm. more effective. That That's the color palette that's chosen and all that kind of stuff. Similar motions before, like we've seen her block bullets like that before. So when we see it here, now it has, you know, that additional meaning. Um, another one that I think is a setup from before that makes this payoff really well is Diana's mother 
said to her, you know, the the idea that great love can turn to great sorrow. Oh, yes. Like, Hippolyta was saying it about Diana, like, you were my greatest love and now my greatest sorrow, or, or I think maybe was the line. Mm -hmm. But that idea was set up. And now that connects to this all is lost moment because Diana had kindled a love with Steve but losing Steve means that her love could turn into sorrow. And so now we're seeing, oh, there's this, you know, there's this danger to having love because if you lose it, it could make you very upset, very full of rage, angry at the world. Mm -hmm. But Diana's going to luckily kind of reclaim it by the end. But, you know, to me, it, it makes all of this, like you said, connect back to stuff that had been built up before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, traumatic moments um, or emotional moments triggering, you know, developments in her powers. I mean, we're going to get a lot more into this once we get to the, you know, I believe in love part. Um, but it's it's funny that you mentioned uh, Red Lanterns earlier because, mm -hmm. yeah, this whole, I think, emotions turning into power. I mean, there's precedence for that in the DC universe. That's the entire concept of, of Green Lanterns. Mm -hmm. And love is also a powerful emotion you know with the star sapphires mm -hmm. and you know a bit of trivia diana even briefly becomes a star sapphire during the blackest night arc of green lantern mm. so you know we're going to get into it how a lot of people think that maybe diana's powers you know her talking about love is maybe a bit cheesy but first of all i mean there's precedence in the dc universe you know emotions are power and it's I, don't know. I mean, there's there's several cool things about it. We'll we'll talk about it more when we get closer to uh, that scene. Mm -hmm. Before we get too far into it, too, I did want to bring up another connection. So, you know, we've mentioned some connections to earlier in this movie. There's also some connections to Batman v Superman mm, um, oh, yeah. because here we had Diana uh, Wonder Woman losing Steve Trevor. And in the prior movie, BVS, or, you know, a couple movies before, but the prior one that had Diana in it, um, we had Lois Lane losing Superman, Clark Kent. And so it's actually kind of nice. Um, we noticed it when we were prepping our notes for the scene, you know, like right after seeing the movie. But other people have noticed it as well. Um, Scott Stamper on Twitter, he pointed out that the fact that uh, Diana lost Steve in a sacrifice like this means that in BVS, when she sees Lois Lane and sees Superman on the ground, she can really empathize and sympathize with that sort of feeling with that moment. So now when we go and rewatch BVS, the look between Diana to Lois at the death of Superman actually has more layers of meaning once we see Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. And I think that was something that a lot of fans even thought of way before Wonder Woman came out, just from BVS, <laughs> you know, we all knew that Steve was going to be in this film, and it it was satisfying to kind of see that theory confirmed, I guess, that, uh, yeah, that that was, you know, Diana's empathy for Lois in that scene. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's witnessing this kind of sacrifice again, and it, you know, it reminds her of her goals and, and who she is, too, mm -hmm. you know, because that was her moment where she was sort of stepping back onto the scene after um, being absent for decades. Mm -hmm. So, all right, so we go, uh, let's get back into the rage-filled stuff. Um, there's the, the fighting that we talked about, the orange color palette. Um, it leads up to this scene where uh, a shot where it's straight on Wonder Woman, and then she, like, 
you know, punches her arms out to the side and then like a whole bunch of Germans kind of like fly back in slow motion. Yeah, that was it. And the dust gets kicked up. (laughs) Yeah. So that's one where she's doing a lot of stuff, but they really let that one linger. And again, it's not about the fight choreography. It's about the emotion that she is feeling right now. And the filmmakers know that (laughs) they know this is not a time to do fancy fight choreography and all this stuff. That was earlier. This is a time where we just soak up what she is going through right now. Yeah, and yeah, the look of the, the you know, the, the kind of look of mustard gas of the scene, you know, mm-hmm. really ties in with everything we've seen before. It's interesting too that she, so that shot uh, when she has her arms out and is screaming in rage, they cut right from that to Ares, and Ares has his arms out at his side. Mm-hmm. So this is basically like they're mirroring each other's body language mm-hmm. to indicate that. Wonder Woman is in danger of joining Ares' side. Like, if she follows this rage path, she is basically becoming Ares. Yeah, and he looks really pleased with this, too. Yeah, he's thinking, okay, I might be, you know, getting her... I might be able to play on this and get her over to my side, or at least to... Even if she doesn't join him as a partner, she might stay raged and angry at mankind and just at the world, and that would be just fine with Ares, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. But I like it that the filmmakers, they literally cut right from Wonder Woman to Ares in the same body position to show that they're kind of getting on the same page if Diana's not careful. Right. Was it he kind of, he villain monologues here. Yeah, look Uh, at this world. (laughs) Mankind did this, not me. So he's again, he's trying to, he's always trying to say, I'm not doing this. It's really mankind. He's, to me, he's really trying to make mankind out to be the worst thing ever, right? Like mankind has ruined this world. Look how horrible they are. And he's trying to direct Diana's rage towards mankind. That's his intention, at least, I think. Yeah, and his his monologuing gets cut off because, you know, she's not not really thinking of it as becoming like him. She's just mad at everything right now. So he gets cut off with a kick to the head. (laughs) Yeah. So... And he, I think he made a strategic mistake because if he is trying to convince Diana to join his side, he he said something like, you know, Colonel Trevor is also part of the problem here with mankind and Colonel Trevor left you with nothing. I think that was a mistake. If he would have played the part like Steve Trevor is a good guy, but mankind was horrible and they took him from you, then he might have made more progress. But he tried to like also throw... Colonel Trevor and like, and you should also be mad at Steve Trevor because he left you and left you with nothing. I'm like, mm, that that tactic is probably not going to work. Right. But I think you're right. She's not really thinking about any of it rationally. She is just reacting right now. Yeah. But also, I mean, it wasn't a good strategic move on his part, but it also, I think, you know, illustrates the differences between him and Diana because her her rage here and her, and her grief is... Um, because Steve died, you know, so mm-hmm. it, it really is grief. It's not, it's a uncontrollable anger towards everything right now because she is upset that he died. Yeah. Um, it's not like Aries where he just has a con- specific concentrated hatred towards humans in general. Mm-hmm. You know, she's just mad at everything right now, but she doesn't have his worldview. Right. I agree. So you're right. Uh, she, she takes him down. She gets a couple punches in, um, then he sends her flying back. So we're going to get a little bit more of the fight between them. But then Ares tries to bring another card onto the table here, um, you know, trying to play his hand. Uh, he whips over 
a uh, Dr. Poison and she rolls into the scene on the ground. So he's thinking maybe this is a tact I can use um, with Diana. I think he he's kind of realizing like, oh, she has this anger, but she still was kind of directing it at me. She was punching me in the face. Let me try to give her something else to direct her anger at. So let me throw Dr. Poison out here. Yeah, here's this this woman who who created these toxins that, you know, kill the people in Veld. You know, she's helped mm-hmm. the war. She's helped the war continue. So, and yeah, it kind of works for a minute because, you know, Diana raises the tank and looks like she's about to crush her. But it's it's another situation where Ares, yeah, maybe took the wrong tactic because he's trying to hold up Dr. Maru as this example of, of you know, all the ugliness that, that humans have. And, you know, when Diana looks at her deep, you know, even through her rage, even through her grief, she still has empathy. I Mm -hmm. I think looking at Dr. Maru's scarred face here reminds her that that there's more to humans than just what Aerie says. I think she feels Mm -hmm. more more sympathy with Dr. Maru rather than just the ugliness. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And again, this is why this works because the movie set things up and they pay off here. We had Dr. Maru and she had this, this partial mask on her face. Mm-hmm. So that's like Chekhov's mask. If you show that mask, you're going to have to take it off at some point, right? The audience wants to know what's underneath that mask. And because we're watching a movie, we know that we're going to see it at some point. And this is a great time to show it, right? Like Ares wants to reveal the full, what he sees as ugliness of mankind. So he blows that mask off, right, and exposes her. And he thinks this is this is gruesome. She's a horrible person. She's done horrible things. And look at her. Of course you should be, like, totally disgusted with this. Yeah, it's reflected on her face even. Right. Ares thinks so. But then, mm-hmm. so that's a great payoff with the, the mask for uh, Dr. Maru. But it's also a payoff for what we've talked about a lot on this podcast, which is really Diana's superpower is her empathy, she has strong empathetic skills. She sees people, she connects with them, she feels their pain, she wants to help them out. She can do it immediately, she can do it very deeply. And so, like you were saying, yeah, there's still, underneath Diana's current anger, there's still that empathetic person who is always there for Diana. And so she can still look at Dr. Maru and think, I don't have pure hatred for you, even the things you've done, I, I still am going to choose make a different choice. Mm-hmm. And it's it's nice that she has that empathy, too, because I guess one thematic trope that goes back centuries and um, I've I've seen um, uh, some criticism for it in this movie is, you know, evil people are portrayed as like ugly, like Mm -hmm. like disfigurations or scars are portrayed as like a reflection of someone's impurity or evil. And, you know, in, in, in real life, that's kind of. It's kind of insensitive because, you know, mm-hmm. just because there's no you, correlation, actually. Yeah, there's there's yeah. no correlation. But, you know, so I do like here that Ares tries to use it as, you know, a, a almost physical representation for why Dr. Maru and humankind in general are, you know, ugly and evil. But Diana doesn't see that. Right. So, yeah, it is kind of going into that trope, but Diana rejects it. So then. Mm-hmm. In a sense, that's also the film almost kind of commenting on that trope. Yeah. But yeah, we d- we don't actually know yet that Diana's going to make that choice because at first, this is the moment of truth, basically. Mm-hmm. Diana, right now, Diana has to make the choice. Um, she 
pulls the tank like over her head and she could smash it down on Dr. Poison or she, she might not. And again, this is why I think the film does a good job, right? Cause an in- inferior film would just have Diana lifted up, think about it and then decide to do the right thing and say like, no, I, I choose love instead. But this film did a better job because they said, let's actually insert something meaningful and important for the character of Diana Wonder Woman. And let's have that connect to how she makes her choice. Mm -hmm. And they also came up with a really clever way of having it happen in this moment. Because Steve, Steve has his final, you know, dialogue with Diana several minutes ago, but they came up with a clever way to have it actually like come to the surface right now by having the whole bomb explosion and Diana can't quite hear him, can't make out what he's saying. Mm -hmm. I thought that was just a, a really clever way to have it all come to a head right here at this moment when she's holding the tank. Right. And, you know, it's, it's a very emotional scene as well. Um, we get, you know, his line, I wish we had more time, mm-hmm. you know, that this has been a repeating thing throughout the story ever since he first introduced the watch back on Themyscira. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she doesn't understand why people at such an object dictate their lives, mm-hmm. but you know, mm-hmm. now, now she sees what it's all about. Mm-hmm. There was a feeling that, um, you know, maybe their relationship would have gone on, that they would have been able to, you know, experience what people do when the fighting stops. But, you know, for it to suddenly come to an end like this, you suddenly realize the, the value of the, the short time that you had. Mm-hmm. Well said, and I think it works really well here. And we also just get the, the very simple statement from Steve of I love you, which is also just nice to have that he was able to say that and she was able to hear it before the end of the movie so i thought that oh, was nice too not nice it's sad <laughs> you only hear it right at the end yeah that's true she hears it when he's already gone mm-hmm. i mean it is sad but it is nice that he was able to say it right right and it is and you're right at happening at that exact moment it's it kind of reminds her of what they had and and who she is and you know it, it, it brings her out of her mindless rage mm-hmm. um you know sort of back into herself again And it gives her the answer she needs, which is that idea of love, right? So he inserted love, and then she can take love and use that to defeat Ares. Um, Before we get into the the love kind of finish here, I also want to mention another piece of Ares' dialogue when he's trying to, you know, push Diana over the edge. He says that these people do not deserve your protection. Um, So he taps into that key word that we've talked about a lot of deserve. Mm -hmm. So again, it's yet another instance of how this climactic scene is tying up to things that have been laid all the way along. We've heard Hippolyta talk about what men deserve. We've heard the odd fellows talk about what they deserve. We've heard Diana talk about what they deserve. And now Ares is even saying that they don't deserve your protection. Mm-hmm. And then Diana's going to bring it around to, it's not about deserve. It's what you believe. So it's all set up and built up. And then it all comes to a conclusion here. Mm-hmm. Oh, I guess uh, another little detail that I want to bring up. Um, mm-hmm. So this this scene in particular, there's this flashback and, you know, the, the scene earlier where you couldn't hear Steve. Um, it reminded me of how Patty Jenkins talked about, you know, the inspirations for her film. I think she said, uh, you know, Superman, the movie, Indiana Jones, uh, and also Casablanca. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's sort of most obvious here. Um, mm. You know, we, both films have the main couple saying farewell on an airfield. Right. Uh, you know, and in both cases getting on the plane is more important than staying together. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a sacrifice involved. Mm -hmm. I am actually trying to think which one of these characters would be Humphrey Bogart and which would be Ingrid Bergman. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
it kind of seems like they yeah. could each be both. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's you know one of them is making a sacrifice because there's you know a greater cause that's more important than the two of them being together. Uh, I actually ended up thinking about this a lot, but this isn't the Casablanca podcast, so. <laughs> <laughs> I've only seen that movie once, uh, you know, so I, I know that's definitely a movie that's worth, you know, revisiting again and again. A lot of people talk about it a lot. Yeah, actually, you know, just even typing up notes for this when you think, I want to watch Casablanca again. <laughs> I'm sure I could find, I'm sure I could find more connections, but <laughs> that might be getting a bit off topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But uh, no, I think you're right. That's a great point. Um, we haven't talked about the Casablanca connections as much as we have like the uh, the Superman, uh, you know, the movie connections and stuff. But I think you're right. The, the airfield and the farewell between them is definitely a, a good spot to point out. Yeah, I think this is the big thing. Um, if, we're, if, uh, it was, if it was an inspiration on the, the larger movie, then I guess it would just be that, you know, it's wartime, but the love story is still very important to the plot. And, you know, it's sort of the dramatic thrust of the story. Uh, so I can see that as maybe being a, a major inspiration on the, the tone of, of Wonder Woman and its themes. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift into something much more surface level and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> just much more kind of nitpicky. Um, but while she has the, the tank above her head and then, you know, she has the flashback with Steve and then she decides that she's going to spare Dr. Poison... So she throws the tank off to the side. The way that this is filmed has always stuck out to me as a little bit awkward. And I ha- I thought for a second that maybe they like broke the 180 rule by having her, it looks like she's going to go throw it to one way and then she ends up throwing it the other way. I'm not sure, but I can just say as a viewer, every time I see this tank throw, it's a little bit jarring and it doesn't quite seem smooth to me. Yeah, I, I, I can't unsee that now. <laughs> <laughs> It looks like she is, in fact, crushing Dr. Morrow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That might be it, too. Like, uh, Dr. Morrow kind of moves out of the way, but we don't we don't clearly see where Dr. Morrow ends up. And I don't think we ever see Dr. Morrow again, do we? No. You, you, we saw her run away in a, a previous shot before Diana actually throws the tank. Yeah. So, Dr. Morrow... Double Mar- check that, but... <laughs> yeah. Dr. Morrow kind of runs, like, towards camera and off to the right, and then it... To me, it looks like Diana is kind of pivoting and she's going to throw the tank. From our perspective, she's going to throw it to the left. But then it cuts and she throws it to the right. And so, uh, yeah, it always to me looks a little weird. Like, it's a great move for her to throw the tank to the side. But because she throws it to the right, that is the direction that Dr. Morrow just ran towards. And also, it's just not the way that I thought she was going to throw it. So that's probably enough about that. I can just say every time I watch it, that looks awkward to me. And if it wasn't there or if it was smoother, then it would it would be almost like a flawless kind of final scene. Yeah. You know, it's just a little mistake. Um, it is kind of cool that it does it does look like it might be an homage to, you know, Action Comics number one. Yeah, like while uh, she's holding it up. And, yeah, she's kind of holding it up with the two arms and then the fact that it does go down into the right, that is the direction that Action Comics number one is kind of going. Mm-hmm. It's a bit... Um, less aggressive actually because you know it, it i guess in action comics number one uh superman actually was what was it he was he was, he was smash- wrecking the car of some very bad men and he was smashing it down into the ground where she's just kind of tossing it to the side yeah it, it's her putting her <laughs> weapon down yeah but it's a good it's a good um uh, visual callback if uh, if it's a reference yeah 
So let's go into the last little sequence here, uh, the last part where Diana does make her final choice and wins the day. So what I like about this is she doesn't say, no, Aries, you're wrong. Let me tell you how it really is. She actually says, you're right. They are those things that you said. They do have hatred. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by the way, I love the way that David Thewlis said the word hatred earlier in the scene. Mm. Hatred. He like really gets around those consonants and stuff. It's good. Yeah, he's got uh, a good bad guy voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she says they are those things, but they're also so much more. So, And to me, that matches the movie because the movie has been about her moving beyond a simplistic child's sort of vision of the world to a complicated adult's vision of the world. Mm -hmm. And that matches here because she says they are actually, mankind is multiple things. They're the good and the bad together. Right. In a way, um, I mean, yeah, she, she has a deeper understanding though, but in a way it also kind of almost becomes um, simple again, because it's all, you know, it's her realizing that yes, all of these terrible things may be true, but it's still all about my decisions about what I believe. And, you know, I choose, like she says, and I believe in love, you know, she, she chooses that despite, you know, all the, the ugliness of mankind, it becomes a very simple decision. Well, that's not what I believe, or, you know, I'm going to choose to stand up for the parts that are good. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that. That's, that is, uh, I'm gonna have to chew on that a little bit more, but I appreciate that perspective. Yeah. It is because it's it's um, I mean a lot of people I and mean, we're kind of getting into that now. Um, I've talked about you know this being somewhat cheesy and mm-hmm. um, you know mm-hmm. Patty Jenkins brings that up. I think especially but, the part when she says yeah she kind of just rises exactly. up and says love you know. <laughs> right, but it's I mean we're um you know talking about like the Green Lantern Corps earlier you know it's you know Green Lanterns are very popular DC character and the main characters are powered by willpower and rage and maybe you know maybe we consider those to be less cheesy you know like anger here anger and rage are very um we think of as logical responses to something terrible happening um you know the idea that you would step away from that is against your every instinct but i think this is what wonder woman stands for you know in a world that's so dark and grim loving is actually more difficult but it's you know it's what makes her stronger and it's what makes her a hero um and i guess i i always thought that um i mean it it initially sounded cheesy to my ears too but i thought Mm -hmm. you know that's a good point Mm -hmm. you know the especially you look at the world today and i think people have a lot less empathy for other people you know everybody's really stressed out everybody's Mm -hmm. really angry because the world seems like it's going in the wrong direction um, but us being angry or frustrated, it, it helps us, you know, want to change things, but it alone isn't enough. You know, you have to have mm-hmm. compassion for people. You have to imagine that better things can happen. So, you know, it's, you really do. It's, well, you know, like the song says, you know, all you need is love. <laughs> you don't need, um, if you're just, if you react to everything, everything with anger, then, you know, things are always going to be violent and, and mm-hmm. angry. Mm-hmm. And, uh... Yeah. You know, when I was first watching the movie, I kind of knew, as soon as I saw it, I knew that some people would just say, oh, that's cheesy and just write it off. 
But for mm-hmm. me, for me, I'm like, well, yeah, it's cheesy, but I also actually agree with the sentiment. And I think it actually is a good idea to put forward into the world through this work of art, you know, that is the film. Um, I was basically like, yes, it's cheesy, but I support it. <laughs> like, I think it's good cheese. Um, right. Yeah. And also, um, there's another thing, I guess if you want to do a kind of a feminist interpretation of it, you know, Patty Jenkins mentioned in an interview that, you know, she's not initially, um, you know, when she's living on on Themyscira, she she doesn't want to go out into the world because, you know, she has some darkness in her or something that needs to be avenged, kind of like Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. She just wants to be a hero because she wants to help people. So her her power and her determination comes entirely from compassion. Mm-hmm. And I guess you could say that, um, you know, we never think it's cheesy if somebody is doing something for the purposes of revenge. Mm-hmm. So if you if you think that, you know, stereotypically speaking, this is, you know, this mm-hmm. isn't true of all things. But if stereotypically mm-hmm. aggression is maybe more of a male emotion and empathy and nurturing is more of a feminine emotion, then maybe the reason we think of empathy and love and compassion as being kind of corny is because, you know, we don't have, um, you know, the feminine perspective portrayed in film very often. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of, I think that's the important thing about Wonder Woman. You know, maybe if it sounds weird to us, that's just because, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't, we don't hear it enough. And um, when we do hear it, it's not portrayed as in a multifaceted way as it is in this movie. Yeah, we've we've as a culture we've seen a lot of movies where it was just grit and strength or something that like won the day at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't seen a lot where it's uh oh, it's compassion and love that saves the day at the end. Um so right. yeah, it might seem cheesy to some, just it's what really what they're saying is, oh, this is different than what we usually see at the end of action movies or, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, beating up the bad guy and getting getting your revenge or, you know, getting the the, the sick pleasure out of watching the bad guy get their comeuppance. Like, that's very satisfying. And we do kind of get it here. Yeah. Um, but the idea of, you know, being wronged, but still coming out of it with, like, a positive outlook, that's non-intuitive, I think. Uh, that feels unsatisfying to a lot of people. So I think that's why it comes across as mm-hmm. more cheesy. Mm-hmm. But it's it's really an ideal outlook. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, for me, the what works and overcomes the cheese is that it was set up earlier in the movie that mm-hmm. she she's getting exposed to mankind. We see her like reacting to the smog of London and we see her reacting to the mud at the trenches and stuff like that. And then the gassing of Veld, we see her react to all those ugly things, but we also see her making some connections and seeing some of the good side. So then to me, it rings as true that she would say, I see both the good and the bad. I'm actually going to choose to be on the side of love. I had love with Steve. I have, compassion for people even if they're strangers and so that is what's going to fuel me so like for me that it works to overcome the cheese but you you alluded to another critique that people have for this ending which is that if she really was going to choose love and if she was really going to kind of rise above it and stuff and not be vengeful then she shouldn't have killed Ares. she should have found some other way to like extend her love to include Ares. Because basically what she does is she extends her love to mankind, even though mankind has done bad things, but she kills Ares. So there is, at least at that level, there is a little bit of a contradiction there um, because she still blasts, you know, right through Ares. (laughs) Well, possibly. But, you know, I I guess the other like stereotypical thing about quote unquote feminine emotions like love or empathy is that 
yeah, they're emotional. They're not rational. But Diana's still practical. Like, she killed people during the uh, the no man's land scene and the, the sort of warehouse fight that followed it. So, you know, she and she thought that those men were just under someone else's control, which means it wasn't their fault, but they were shooting at her. So mm -hmm. <laughs> they needed to be taken out. So she can have this greater love for all mankind, but Ares is an immediate and obvious danger. So and there's no way to stop him. So she has to, to take him out. Mm hmm. I'm sure if there was another way, she would prefer that. But it's it's a little bit like um, Superman killing Zod in Man of Steel. Mm -hmm. He literally had no choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm totally fine with the taking out Ares. I mean, we don't see the dead body, I don't think. Mm -hmm. um, but he takes a pretty big blast right in the chest. Uh, so I'm fine with it. Um, it's just you know something where I could see it being raised as right after she professes love, she like executes somebody like right in front. But <laughs> Um, but no, I think, really flashy way. <laughs> and he's, he's already lived more than a life's worth, you know, and also you could also just draw the distinction of he is on the God plane instead of on the actual like mortal plane. And he is guilty of murdering all these other gods. So it's kind of like, you know what? Okay. You're kind of operating on a different set of rules for Ares than you would for the rest of mankind. Right. Well, you know, once again, he is an immediate threat. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think, um, you know, love and compassion doesn't mean that you can't, you know, defend yourself or, you know, it doesn't mean that in extreme situations you might have to hurt others. Yeah. Uh, and he is the one that gathered all of that lightning power and everything and said he was going to destroy Wonder Woman. So, yeah, he definitely was the aggressor mm -hmm. and tried to destroy her first. And she just sent back that same energy back at him. So that seems right. like fair play. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess one little detail, uh, this isn't something that's explicitly mentioned in the movie, but because the Amazons themselves are you know, heavily based on Greek culture, ancient Greek culture, mm -hmm. I, I think it might be relevant. But um, uh, I'm not an expert in this, but I've read many times that the, the ancient Greeks had, had many different words for love. Mm -hmm. So you know, rather than just one all-encompassing word, they had lots of different words like eros is sexual love maybe kind of what we would think of as romantic love philos is friendly love like what you would have towards friends and family and agape which mm -hmm. I, I believe i'm pronouncing it right mm -hmm. which is just sort of like a general love for everyone mm -hmm. and they're all different it's not like one is better than the others but um they they all mean different things so it I kind of wish we had something like that because, you know, mm -hmm. we think of as love as maybe something too too big or general to be a goal in itself. And, you know, probably another reason why it sounds kind of corny. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Diana probably has a broader view on these things. So, you know, her love for Steve is is a similar th is, you know, it's important, but it's it's different from a, a love for all mankind. And it allows for some um some bending of the rules here, like like killing mm -hmm. Ares for the greater good. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm really glad you brought up that, the different meanings of love and stuff, because I would call it a misconception that I've heard from some people who criticize this scene or this movie. Um, they say, like, wow, she, she met Steve, she was with him for a few days, mm. and now she loves Steve, and then that's, like, what saves the whole day and, you know, powers her and stuff. And they, they will basically say something like, when she's talking about love here, it's all just about her love and passion for Steve Trevor. 
Oh, no. And I've (laughs) always taken it as this kind of like playing on multiple meanings of love. Like, yeah, she did love Steve Trevor and losing him is part of, you know, her emotional situation right now. But I've always taken it as she's making a bigger choice about this world that she's seen and choosing the, the broader kind of love. And so I'm glad you brought that up. And for me, it's like, if, if people watch this and think it's just love for Steve Trevor, I would call that a misconception just as much as people who see BVS and the Martha scene, and they think, oh, it's so it's just about the name, the mother's having the same name. <laughs> right. It's just, it's, it's simplistic. It's just looking at the surface level rather than, talk, you know, looking deeper into what these characters are feeling. Um, so yeah, she, she had romantic feelings towards Steve and, you know, she is really sad that he's dead, but he also, you know, because he was a good person and she respected him, he was like an example of the good in all of mankind. Um, so, you know, she, he helped her see the goodness in all of mankind, but that is something that is, it's powering her right now. You know, Mm -hmm. Steve's already dead. Um, so, but she now is fighting for all of mankind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, I think he helped her open her eyes to that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a greater love than just a love for one person. Right. And Steve she wanted to be a hero even before Steve. Right. And Steve even recognized that it was bigger than him because he said, you can save the world. Right. Like, so mm-hmm. he's saying, I love you. But he realizes that her her cause and her abilities go way beyond just Steve himself. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I mean, even in Steve's case, he was thinking of the greater good. Um, I mean, he could have stayed with Diana. You know, she could have taken out Ares and, you know, the the war would have continued, I'm sure, because of uh Dr. Maru's poison. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he chose all of mankind over just Diana. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean he didn't love her. It's just, mm-hmm. once again, that's, that's agape in play. That's a love for all mankind. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the message of the, the story. It's, you know, saying that, yeah, sure. Saying I believe in love, love will save the world. That may sound cheesy. Um, and it's a simplistic way of putting it. But it's still an idea that I think people should internalize, you know, just try to be kind and compassionate to others. Mm -hmm. Um, One final criticism that I'll just mention briefly that other people have about the scene is they'll say Diana's a hypocrite because she says that she loves mankind, but then she walks away from mankind for the next hundred years. And if you really loved mankind, you would never walk away. You would always stay active and be a hero and try to, you know, save the day and blah, blah, blah. Um, I'm going to just refer to Doc from uh, Man of Steel Answers. Um, He addressed this kind of criticism, and he just kind of points out that to love is not mutually exclusive from kind of taking a backseat or leaving in some cases. Um, It's Mm -hmm. Doc would say it's possible to love and to leave. You know, because sometimes because you love somebody, you decide I'm going to leave it to them or I'm going to leave it to be their choice or I'm not going to assert myself as a God figure over them because I love them. I'm going to actually let them have some kind of control over their own fate and that sort of thing. Um, If you you love something, set it free. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah. And that just goes to show that it's more more complex than than we tend to think of the emotion. Yeah, and it it wouldn't necessarily be a loving act for Diana or Wonder Woman to be like a god. Ares was kind of influencing mankind and being sort of an evil god. I'm going to influence mankind and be a positive god, but that means you're kind of 
you know, inserting yourself into the affairs of other people rather than letting them have their own choices and their own free will and stuff. So, you know, the loving thing might be to kind of take a backseat and that sort of thing. So he's got more on that. You can check out Man of Steel Answers for sure. Um, but let's kind of go into the last little part of the scene here where Ares pulls down some lightning bolts, uh, kind of a, in an echo of his father, Zeus, um, and then fires those at Diana. I do like this shot where Diana's sliding backward and the lightning's hitting her. It's kind of just a nice little final bit of action here before we finish the scene. Mm-hmm. And the bracelets, it's nice with the bracelets crossed too. It's a nice iconic way to capture the the lightning bolts. It is. And also, I mean, the bit where she's walking towards him and you mm-hmm. know, when she's saying the I believe in love thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, and she, she's got, it seems like she's got that like field around her. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I, at first I thought when I first saw the movie, I thought, oh, where did that come from? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, looking after watching it several times, I'm just like, this is a natural progression of her powers. They've been getting stronger. And once again, since she's come to a, an epiphany here, um, it's it sort of, you know, her powers are go up another level. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's 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 basically the same thing as her um, her her bracelet blast. You know, it's, she's absorbing the energy that's being thrown at her. Just it's a wider field. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's I, at first I thought it came from nowhere and then I realized, oh, no, this is just a powered up version of her her normal uh, energy absorption and blasting attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think uh, Patty Jenkins might have commented on this where somebody was saying, like, is that a love force field that she has? <laughs> you know, and but they're like coming at it from like a technical I have to explain all the powers and how they all work kind of point of view. Mm-hmm. And Patty Jenkins sort of just like rejected the premise and she's like. Yeah, it's a love force field. Like, And then she kind of explains the way they approached it was we don't really base it on physically we're going to explain all of the powers. We're just doing what is emotionally right for the character and for the kind of story. And so for the story, they're like, she is choosing love. And yeah, love is just all around her. And so, yep, it is a love force field if you want to like think of it that way. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> if if you want a filmmaker who is very much into the like, technical physical explanations of everything that happens patty jenkins is probably not your filmmaker but if you really want somebody to follow the emotional core of the story and let the the emotions develop and breathe then i think patty jenkins is a is a great person for that right but you know dear listeners if you want a you know a reasonably logical explanation because you know i like i like logical explanations then yeah, kind of what I said. I feel like mm-hmm. it makes sense. So it's yeah. it's the same power she's exhibited before. It's just bigger now because you know she's she's gotten stronger and her you know uh, upgrades to her powers seem to be triggered by big emotional moments for her. Right. Yep. I'm and that's fine. been a I'm consistent theme too. across the movie. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm I'm I accept that also. So she uh, she catches the lightning with her bracelet which they kind of alluded to a few moments earlier they kind of hinted and she looks down and kind of notices oh my bracelets are kind of doing something interesting here she captures all this power and then she rises up for the big finish um and has a pretty good intense blast like the special effects were pretty good on this part the lightning looks good um and then the the feeling of it kind of hitting aries is all pretty good and and she does say uh, the line goodbye brother too to hint back to the you know demigod status of diana and the the right. history that they have from the beginning yeah it reminded me too of um the new 52 run written by brian Otzarello. i mm-hmm. remember there was a line in that where 
where she calls someone brother and then she comments that she's never used that word before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's like, oh, wow, that, that was a novel experience. <laughs> <laughs> it's also a pretty badass thing to say right before she, you know, destroys him. Um, I actually, I, I tend to like this scene um, more and more the more I see it because it's, you know, it's obviously a giant special effects filled third act. And, you know, I, the choreography from some earlier scenes where she's fighting with her sword and shield are, you know, those are a lot cooler from a, you know, a fighting scene standpoint. But here I think it's important to see that the kinds of powers she has, that she has godlike powers, but she uses them for good. Mm. So this is the unique way that she can fight. Right, that's nice. Yeah, just like, I mean, any Amazon can can fight. We've seen that at the very beginning of the movie, and Diana can fight extremely well, but this is something that only she can do. Yes, and and she is unlocking new potentials, like well beyond what we saw like in the training montage at the beginning and stuff. But it's kind of nice, yeah, from start to finish, to see where she begins as a skilled fighter to the bracelet blast to, you know, no man's land and the veld uh and then uh, right to here to her kind of you know pinnacle that we've seen her at so far so yeah it's a nice power arc to go along with her you know emotional growth and learning about the world and that sort of thing Mm -hmm. and i'm with you um where the you know first time i saw this in theaters i was sort of like oh great movie you know third act uh, lost me a little bit but as I've watched it more and more, I've made some of these connections, you know, that we've talked about things that were set up before and pay off here. Um, and I've really come to appreciate it uh, as I watch it more and more. So, yeah. And for me, I've also had a chance to, like, think about some of the critiques that other people have had and think about, like, what do I really think about it? And I'm sort of like, no, I don't really agree with any of those critiques as we kind of went through here. Yeah. Um, I'm and, you know, I, I got past the cheesiness even on, on like the, the first view because it's it was very earnest. And so I thought, you know what, it it works here because they are very not, not straightforward, just um, it feels honest. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. like it's forced. It feels like, you know, this is honestly what Patty Jenkins is trying to convey. Yeah. It's when you really when you really think yeah. about it, when you really think about it, it is an important thing and it is an important message that Diana is spreading. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, it is great to, you know, finally make connections with things. That's always a good feeling. <laughs> Well, that is our analysis of scenes 48 and 49 of Wonder Woman. Thanks so much for listening. We also want to thank uh, Suicide Squadcast and Man of Steel Answers. And by the way, if you are um, a listener, we want to also let you know that you can submit your favorite part of Wonder Woman. Let us know what your favorite part is, um, three minutes or less if you can, and send that to jlupodcast at gmail.com by September 10th. And don't say your favorite parts to the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's tempting, but don't <laughs> yeah we'd we'd rather hear something kind of specific and then let us know like why it's meaningful to you so you can kind of put a little bit of your own interpretation or why it resonates with you we'd love to hear that also there's a couple days left you can enter our giveaway for 15 free months of dc universe um, the new service so if you've already pre-ordered dc universe that's fine you can still enter our giveaway and we will reimburse you the money if you haven't signed up for dc universe yet this is a good chance to get 15 months for free All you need to do is go to patreon.com slash jlupodcast, and anybody who becomes a patron, even $1 a month, um, is entered into the giveaway. Um, If you join at the $4 a month level, then you also 
are entered into the giveaway and you get access to our bonus content like our Watchmen commentary and we have a conversation about the future of the DCEU. So thanks for listening and uh, we hope to see you there at Patreon.